Welcome to Life Skills 101, Skills for a Digital Age, sponsored by the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network and True North Homeschool Academy. True North offers live online classes, clubs, ebooks, and more. From special needs to parent classes, True North builds a community through digital format in an age of loneliness and desolation. Our host, Lisa Nearing, is a homeschooler with five kids who was homeschooled with her husband, Dr. David Nearing, for 27 years. They are committed to equipping fellow homeschoolers and Christians with the tools they need to navigate a complex world in need of a savior. Now, without further ado, Lisa Nearing. Hey everybody, it is Lisa from True North Homeschool Academy, and we are back once again with Life Skills 101, Life Skills for Digital Age, and I am super excited to have Amy Sloan here today from Humility and Doxology. Um, I'm going to just read her bio really quickly, and then you'll get a chance to hear from her. Amy Sloan and her husband, John, are both second-generation homeschoolers. They have five kids, ages 6 to 16 years old, and the Sloan family adventures together in North Carolina, where they pursue a restfully classical education by grace alone. And I love that term. We're going to dive into that a little bit. If you hang out with Amy for any length of time, you'll quickly learn she loves overflowing book stacks, giant mugs of coffee, beautiful memory work, and silly memes. And at any moment, she could break into song and dance from Hamilton, 90s country music, or Shakespeare. (laughs) I love this. Amy writes at humilityanddoxology.com and hosts the Homeschool Conversations podcast. Amy, I'm so glad you're here today. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me, Lisa. I'm excited to chat. Yeah, you are You are a second-generation homeschooler. And I think, honestly, I think education and medical care are the two big issues for all parents around the world. And so it's a huge life skill choice for families. How are they going to educate their kids? So how did you, as a second-generation homeschooler, decide that you wanted to homeschool your own kids? Well, it was actually something that uh, my husband and I talked about even before we got married. We had both had positive experiences. I was homeschooled all the way through high school graduation, and my husband was homeschooled through seventh grade. Mm -hmm. Um, So we knew that it was going to be an opportunity to customize an education for our children, to have our worldview and our ideas, um, our love for Christ and, you know, influencing everything that we were studying. And plus it's just fun. I wanted to be able to do all those exciting field trips and read alouds and not miss a single minute of time with my kids. So, um, it's definitely hard just because I'm a second generation homeschooler. Doesn't mean I have it all figured out or that things just always go along smoothly around here. But um, I like to say it's the best hard thing I do. Oh, I love that. The best hard thing. I love your description of Wesley Classical. That is, I've told people for years, we're like a classical unschooling family and nobody has a clue what that means. But I'm like, I'm old enough to have read all of John Holt's books (laughs) and all the Growing Without Schooling magazines, like when they were actual magazines. You can find them online now. But I love that term Wesley Classical because I think you're summing up what I'm trying to get to and failing at. So tell us what you mean by Wesley Classical. So I use the term restful, and it kind of has a few bits of meaning there. But let's start sort of on the flip side with the classical. So because that might be a little bit easier to explain. Um, For me, when I think about classical education, I'm not thinking about ages or stages of learning, but I am thinking in terms of uh, the historic approach to classical education and 
this idea that education is about raising a human. <laughs> okay. Yes. So, yeah. so kind of at its core, classical education and it most simplified mm-hmm. is thinking about raising wise, virtuous, pious men and women. And when I think about that, um, I see that directly linked to um, the person of Christ Mm -hmm. uh, because he is the virtuous man, right? He is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so uh, I don't see like this pursuit of wisdom, this pursuit of virtue is somehow separate or a different thing from uh, from our faith. In fact, it's what kind of goes, makes it go along together so well. Um, so with that, we, we are going to be really emphasizing um, a, a humble approach to learning, to trying to learn to love our neighbor well. Um, so that's sort of the classical side. And so when I think about restful, I think there are probably two main parts of that. One is going to be at its core, really finding rest as a homeschool mom, knowing that I don't have to pick the perfect curriculum. I don't have to do all the things right in order to be, you know, quote unquote, successful, Mm -hmm. that I can really rest in the perfection, the perfect work of Christ on my behalf. And so that may not sound like something that is like a homeschool philosophy, but really that is at its core what gives me hope and strength for this sometimes challenging, you know, adventure. So um, the, the, the core of how I think about who I am as a mom, as a homeschooler really influences then the way I make educational choices for my kids. So one would be restful, really resting in, in the work of Christ and not in, my own achievement, right? Like I've got to do it all right. Cause that's just overwhelming because you're right. going to goof up a lot. Yeah. Um, and then on the like more practical education side of that, I am not interested in, you know, a checklist that never gets finished <laughs> trying to raise, you know, these kids who can spout up a bunch of facts and really impress everybody. Um, I don't want us to be just on a hamster wheel of trying to, you know, be the great homeschool family or whatever. I really want us to be able to focus on beautiful ideas, on relationships over those checklists. Um, And of course we fail in that often and have to, you know, we have our ideals and then you have your reality and you have to keep reminding yourself of your (laughs) ideals, right? Justify to yourself at all times. It will change. It will get better. It's a season. We'll grow. All those things. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I guess that's, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's sort of when I, when I say restfully classical, that's, that's what I'm thinking. I love it. I love it. I love how you said you'll never find the perfect curriculum because I do think that is really something we're all trying to maybe figure out is like, if I get the perfect curriculum, if I get this, and it might be the perfect curriculum for one kid and not another, or for a student and not the teacher or whatever. And so there's no perfection, especially when you're dealing with humans, they're all created in the image of God. And yet there's all these multifacets to every single person that are so unique. It sounds like you're really trying to see the people in front of you and minister to their hearts. And I love that. That's just a really beautiful philosophy of education. 
Yeah. And it takes a lot of that burden and that stress. I talked to so many homeschool moms and there's this constant burden of like, if I don't pick just the right math curriculum or just the right, you know, language arts curriculum, I'm going to ruin my child. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it just becomes so stressful to, to make those simplest of choices. And so to be able to kind of take a step back and it's a lot more about the consistency mm-hmm. and about the like piece than it is about picking the perfect curriculum. Right. Um, it would be better to pick, you know, the not perfect curriculum and actually do it yeah. than to, you know, constantly be changing or freaking out and mm-hmm. not in, you know, then you don't actually provide a consistent, joyful educational experience. Right. I always encourage parents to pick a curriculum that works for you. <laughs> Because if you don't like it, you're going to avoid it and not get it out and not use it. And most kids need a little bit of direction from an adult. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) They're really little for sure, for sure. So you have a blog, you have a podcast. Tell us about those resources for homeschool parents. Yeah. So humilityanddoxology.com is my blog and that's where I share book lists, uh, memory work resources. I have um, the year of memory work, which is a free resource for families, 52 plus weeks of printable poems and video recitations and things. Um, And I love for people to check that out. And then the Homeschool Conversations podcast has just been such a thrill for me. Basically, it's an excuse to get to talk to all sorts of really fun, amazing people. (laughs) And so we will be starting season four later this summer, early fall, uh, currently on a bit of a summer break so I can get my own homeschool planning done. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, so it'll be publishing every other week and um, just talk about all sorts of different topics, homeschool moms, dads, other educators. And it's really encouraging to me. I hope it is to others as well. I love it. I want to just go back for a second. You have a year of memory work and yet in your bio, you say you don't, and you just mentioned a little bit ago, you don't, you don't want to have these little Robotron kids who can recite memory work. My sense was that you were saying you're not looking for your kids to prove that you're an adequate homeschooler, but yet you've published a year of memory work. And I'm a big advocate of memory work. I love it. I I have favorite resources, but tell us about your philosophy of memory work. Why do you think it's important? What do you love about it? Um, All those kinds of things. (laughs) So I get so excited about this topic. I think that memory work is a great thing to do. And I think when people hear memory work, a lot of times they think of that as like a list of facts or, you know, like, Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492 or like something like that, you know? And um, because there's limited time, there's limited energy, uh, a choice for one thing always means you're choosing not to do something else. In our family, we have prioritized memorizing poetry, Mm. scripture, um, historic speeches and documents over lists of facts. Mm-hmm. So those are the things that have true, good, and beautiful ideas mm-hmm. that will last for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Um, I and I think that I would rather, yeah, I would rather spend that time together um, hiding those things in their hearts mm-hmm. than than dates and dead people. So, mm-hmm. um, for instance, we do Shakespeare. There's poetry in the Year of Memory work. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some of America's founding documents, some famous speeches, mm-hmm. yeah, things like that. 
I love it. We are, we are recording this right around the 4th of July. And I just did a podcast and a blog post about reading the Declaration of Independence during your 4th of July celebration. And I, I have a link in there to an excerpt from Little Town on the Prairie with Laura Ingalls Wilder, where she says, of course, of course, we had memorized the Declaration of Independence. Everyone had. And I love that because if you read through it now, it's, it's a different kind of English. It's a little bit older and you have to just kind of wrestle through even pronouncing some of the words. But one of the things I love about memorizing those kind of documents is that you have those beautiful words in your mind, in your heart. And so you can draw on them when things get tough or you're just like, darn it, our country is just really going down the tubes. And you're like, you know, we have this ideal that we're striving for and we're not going to be able to do it perfectly, but we still have this ideal out there. And that can really be a guiding vision, whether it's the Declaration of Independence or scripture or poetry. Um, so I love that idea of hiding those kind of great words and thoughts and ideas in our kids' hearts. Yeah, definitely. And there's been so many examples of people in history who have learned to be better communicators or even great communicators, like, you know, Frederick Douglass, who learned to be one, you know, one of the great American rhetoricians by studying old speeches, you know, by reading them and memorizing them. And so, you know, memorizing those speeches, whether it's Patrick Henry, Martin Luther King Jr., um, the, you know, speech of Queen Elizabeth the first, I have a speech of hers, you know, like those things also train us in how to be better communicators um, and how to communicate good ideas in a beautiful way. Right. I had read once that Billy Graham had memorized Charles Spurgeon's sermons. And I mean, I think we can probably all agree that that Billy Graham was one of the great communicators and evangelists of our time. Uh, my husband's reading a book, um, uh, about him and just like, we're just blown away. Like he's better than we thought even, you know, then, and, and I think that just is another testimony to the power of memory work. Like it's not plagiarism. If you take in those great ideas and they become part of your experience in your life and you can draw on them to even be able to communicate well to your generation. And that's what we really want for our kids that they have great, great stuff to draw on, to communicate to the people that they'll live with. <laughs> yes. Definitely. Yeah, that's awesome. So where, where did you grow up homeschooling and what kind of curriculum did you use growing up? So I grew up in the southeastern United States, uh, North Carolina, Virginia, and South Carolina, and still live in North Carolina now with my own family. Um, so I'm very thankful for my parents who are definitely in that first generation of people doing this crazy thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like, you know, my, my mom definitely um, set a good example for me of not going to sort of the traditional read a textbook, fill in some bubbles and call that done. Uh, she always brought in a lot of real life hands-on learning um, to just give us that joy and wonder so that I grew up loving to learn and wanting to keep learning. So yeah, so she did not just follow sort of one boxed set of curriculum, but put together things that were going to work uniquely for me and my brother. Yeah. And, and way back when, cause we've homeschooled for a long time, there wasn't a lot of choices. There were textbook curriculums. Um, sunlight came out. That was like a big, huge thing, like a literature based curriculum. Um, and so that's really creative of your mom. How did she know she wanted to homeschool? Was there a particular reason or they just had this, this tug that they couldn't ignore or how did that go? You know, I will have to get that original story from them again. It's been a while since we've talked about it. I think they, you know, I think they went to like a church 
um, conference or something, some person was speaking when I was young and uh, they decided that was going to be a good fit for our family. So um, I know that my mom was also heavily influenced by books like For the Children's Sake by Mm -hmm. Susan Schaefer Macaulay um, and some of those ideas. And yeah, we spent, I I just used to love going to homeschool conventions with them. I just thought that was the most fun thing ever, (laughs) you know, so they, they learned a lot as, as they went along and definitely made mistakes, but God's grace was sufficient even for those things. Yeah. What is your best piece of advice for somebody who's just starting out homeschooling, feeling kind of intimidated way back when there was so few choices and now there are so many choices. There's books and online stuff and online classes and, 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 and what is your, what is your best advice for a new homeschooler who feels overwhelmed and maybe even decision fatigue? Yeah. I think I would go back to something I alluded to earlier, which is doing something simply, but doing it consistently is going to be the best thing you can do. So if someone is new and thinking they need to do, you know, the 27,000 things that they're seeing on the internet, I would say, don't do that. (laughs) You know, leave plenty of white space in your schedule. It would be better to start with just a few things do them well, develop that habit of, you know, self-discipline, both as mom and like as students too, and have that joy together so that you're not always stressed, like, oh, we're behind, we're behind. We have 10 more things to do today because nobody is enjoying that, right? So I would say just pick a few things, do them well. And then once you get in a good routine and you want to add something new, add something new, And then get used to that, and then maybe you can add something else. But as soon as you start getting like freaked out and frazzled, it's probably time to not do quite so much, Mm -hmm. which is advice I need to heed myself. Yeah, and I think we have to keep reminding ourselves of the basics too, because especially if you have more than one kid or two kids, I mean, having one kid alone can be its own set of challenges, but having multiple kids with you've got somebody you're teaching phonics to, but you might have somebody in high school, you're getting ready to launch them and trying to balance and manage all of that. It's not necessarily always as easy as maybe a one room schoolhouse idea looks like, you know, it's just, and, and plus people are so human. I mean, every kid has their own personality. Uh, Every mom has their own personality or a dad, whoever's doing the homeschooling. And so you've got to take that into account too. But I love that idea of just keep it simple and focus on really having joy. And if you have a wide range of kids that you're instructing, I would say try to find at least one thing you can do all together. Um, For our family, I know a lot of times that looks like our doing our memory work together, our poetry, um, shared read-alouds. We have about 30 minutes in the morning. We all come together and start our day together from the high schooler down to the little guy. Um, But for other families, it might be a game or, I don't know, puzzle, whatever, you know, find something that you can do with all of the kids together so that you're really emphasizing that relationship and that you're a team. Yeah. I love that. We used to do that too. Just gather together in the morning, do memory work, do Bible reading, do read aloud. We had to actually limit that time because we liked it so much that that could have been our whole day. (laughs) (laughs) We're like, okay, nine o'clock and at 10, we're done. And so that was that, and that was good discipline because then people had to go and do this stuff that might not have been their fun and happy place, but <laughs> yeah. It's nice to start the day off with something delightful. 
It is. It is. Well, it's been delightful to talk to you. I'm going to list resources for you guys to find Amy in the show notes. You can find her at humilityanddoxology.com and go check out her, her podcast, Homeschool Conversations, and her memory work. Amy, anything you'd like to leave our listeners with? No, thank you so much for this, this chance to chat with you, Lisa. It's been fun. It's been great, Amy. Thanks so much. We're so honored that you're listening and that you share this podcast, Life Skills 101, with your friends and family. Every time you share the show and post about it, it really makes our day. Make sure you subscribe and download this podcast so that you never miss an episode. You can subscribe so that you get alerted to each and every show. Leave a review for this podcast, Life Skills 101, Life Skills for Digital Age. We're so honored that you're listening. Until next time, this is Lisa Nearing from True North Homeschool Academy. We'll talk to you soon.